think for a moment about your physical health, but not just yours, also others at Jerusalem Church. I'm in pretty good health right now, but I have some issues. Tinnitus has been bothering me recently. A neck injury from high school has caused stiffness, inflexibility, and pain through the years, sometimes excruciating and debilitating pain. I've had bacterial and viral pneumonia. I was once eating conversation hearts at my dear grandma's house in Lidditz, and all of a sudden they became a little too crunchy. My tooth fell apart. And so I got a crown, it lasted several years, I got an infection, they extracted my tooth, and now I have a ginormous hole in my mouth. And I have other issues too, which I won't go into. Some of us have had serious health problems, heart conditions, bone problems, cancer, respiratory complications, MS, blood diseases, infertility, pregnancy complications, uh, allergies, macular degeneration, um, and other serious medical conditions. And these weaknesses can be painful, embarrassing, and even sorrowful. Think about spiritual health. We struggle so deeply with sinful desires, thoughts, and words, and actions, and, and these are painful, embarrassing, and sorrowful as well. These physical and spiritual difficulties are results of the fall. Brothers and sisters, before the fall, life wasn't like this. If sin didn't exist in the world, we wouldn't suffer at all. But in Adam, we all sinned and are suffering the consequences. Friends, when God's good law is broken, bad things ensue. Misery ensues. And when we experience misery of body and soul, and we see our loved ones experiencing misery, we get the sense this is not how things are supposed to be. My question is, is there any hope at all for us to be healed from all the effects of sin? When our body falls apart, is there any hope of healing? When we can't seem to defeat that besetting sin, is there any hope of healing? When sin corrupts body and soul, is there any hope of healing? Yes. Yes, there is great hope for our holistic healing. And our four simple verses for this morning prove it. Matthew 8, 14 through 17 are simple, straightforward verses. They show us how Jesus is God's promised Messiah who possesses supreme and divine power and authority to heal and restore his people from the devastating effects of the fall. The supernatural power and authority of Christ Jesus are not simply impressive. They're relevant and beneficial for us right now. Our hope is in the sufficiency of Christ's healing power and grace. The, the text is plain. And so my point is simple this morning. Jesus is God's promised Messiah who heals his people from all the effects of sin. May that be your hope as you persevere on this hard way to eternal life. And though this passage is simple, it's a simple message, it can be misheard and misapplied. So we need to think and apply carefully. I'll talk about this later, but I, I want to mention it up front. Verses like Matthew 8, 14 through 17 and Isaiah 53 are used by some to make the argument that the atonement of Christ on the cross accomplished complete physical healing for believers 
in this life. And this leads to an over-realized eschatology. Now, what I mean by over-realized eschatology is the belief that all the benefits of the kingdom can be enjoyed by believers now in this life. As in, because Christ died for you, you no longer need to suffer disease and disability in this life as long as you claim it by faith. And this thinking sets believers up for shame, frustration, and discouragement. It's a form of works righteousness. Because, hey, things will go well with you if you have enough faith, but if you get sick, it's because you don't have enough faith. It's a poisonous and damnable lie that afflicts many people. The miracles of Jesus do not promise or guarantee complete healing in this life, but they are a confirmation that Jesus saves people from their sins and brings them complete healing at the consummation of his glorious kingdom. The miracles of Jesus point us to his power, to his authority to save us from our sin and misery. As believers, we are guaranteed all of his blessings, the fullness of which come at the consummation of the kingdom of Christ. Brothers and sisters, we do experience kingdom blessings in this life but only in part. One study Bible rightly notes, Christ's miracles of healing were signs that he would save people from misery by suffering in their place. His atonement does not guarantee present health to Christians, but present spiritual restoration and future healing from all sickness, death, or pain, end of quote. Verses 14 through 17 should give you hope that your sickness and suffering are temporary. They have an end because Christ possesses supremacy over all things. It would not build your confidence to hear your airline pilot say over the intercom, ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. Before we take off, could someone come to the cockpit and help me figure out all these fancy buttons? Because quite frankly, I have no idea how to fly this thing. That would not build your confidence. If we are to have any hope, Jesus must have divine ability. Watch what Jesus can do in verses 14 through 17. Believe it and you'll have hope. Verse 17 says, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. That's from Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 sheds light on verses 14 through 17. First point, Isaiah prophesied that God's promised Messiah would heal God's people from their sin and misery. Matthew wasn't just plucking a verse uh, from Isaiah 53 and applying it however he wanted to Jesus. I, I think Matthew was looking back to the entire context of the suffering servant at the end of Isaiah 52 through Isaiah 53 and showing that the miracles of Jesus were part of his saving work as the suffering servant and Messiah. So, so let's go back to Isaiah. Isaiah 42 verse 1, uh, in that text, Isaiah spoke of the Messiah. In fact, later in Matthew 12, after Jesus miraculously healed many people, Matthew said Jesus fulfilled Isaiah 42, 1 through 3. 
And Isaiah 42, 1 says this, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. In Isaiah, servant refers to various people, including Isaiah, David, even the nation of Israel. But most of all, servant refers to God's promised and coming Messiah. Isaiah, David, Israel were all types of the greater servant to come, the Messiah. So in Isaiah 52, verse 13, Isaiah prophesied of the Messiah. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. And from there on, through Isaiah 53, Isaiah describes the suffering servant, the suffering Messiah, the suffering Christ who saves his people from their sin and misery by taking upon himself their sin and misery and suffering on the cross in their place. Isaiah used phrases like, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form was beyond that of the children of mankind. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. The servant Messiah suffered to save. Isaiah was describing the Messiah's substitutionary atonement on the cross for all his people and describing how the Messiah takes upon himself the sin and misery of his people, dies in their place, and heals them. It wasn't as if Isaiah was saying, hey, listen, folks, the Messiah will suffer and die and rid you of disease, pain, and suffering in this life. Hallelujah. That wasn't his point. Isaiah was prophesying more than that. The Messiah would suffer to save you from your sin and misery and give you eternal life in his kingdom. Isaiah was prophesying complete redemption from sin and misery. And right there in Isaiah 53 is this statement. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And Matthew translates it in verse 17. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases, which is the sense of the Hebrew. So why would Matthew take Isaiah 53, 4, which sits in the context of the Messiah's atonement on the cross for salvation from sin and misery, and apply it to the miraculous physical healings of Jesus? Why would he do that? And Matthew is completely right here. Isn't it true that as Christ redeems and heals his people from their sin and misery, he is at the same time redeeming and healing them from all the effects of sin? Isn't the promise of physical healing included in redemption? Christ's atonement on the cross is not simply to heal your soul. It is also to heal your body, but not in this life. He bore our sins, sorrows, griefs, sicknesses, diseases, maladies, deformities, weaknesses in order to fully and finally deliver us from all the effects of the fall 
at his glorious return. There is no effect of sin from which Jesus Christ will not deliver his people at the resurrection. Christ conquered death and all that leads to death to fully deliver us from death and all that leads to death. The, the kingdom which Christ will bring in full at his glorious return will not include cancer, heart disease, disability, arthritis, mental illness, hypertension, asthma, blindness, paraplegia, dementia, diabetes, autism, MS, and every other imaginable complication. In fact, it will not include anger, lust, envy, bitterness, sexual immorality, deceit, greed, or any evil thought, word, or deed. Why? Because the suffering servant has overcome it all by his power and authority. Here's hope. Here's hope, brothers and sisters. Though our bodies are wearing out and wasting away now, and though we will die one day, brothers and sisters, our Lord is serving us by healing us on the inside. Right now, converting us, renewing us into his image. And as Heidelberg 42 states, our death puts an end to sin and is an entrance into eternal life. And as Heidelberg 57 states, Christ's resurrection comforts us not only because after this life, our souls are immediately taken up to Christ, our head, but also because our flesh will be raised by the power of Christ and reunited with our souls and made like Christ's glorious body. And Christ's glorious body is not susceptible to disease, sickness, or death. So the life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, intercession, and promise return of Christ Jesus our Lord all work for our complete and final healing and restoration from all the effects of sin. Verses 14 through 17 show us that Jesus is God's Messiah, promised Messiah, who heals his people from all the effects of sin. Secondly, and here's this, incredible historic happening. Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law from a severe fever. This is what Isaiah was talking about. Matthew is effectively succinct, verses 14 and 15. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him. With tenderness, compassion and love Jesus was serving this woman by taking her fever away Jesus has power and authority over severe fevers and whatever causes them Matthew Mark and Luke all record this event and we get more details from Mark and Luke they were in Capernaum Peter and his brother Andrew had moved to Capernaum and lived in the same house, and it's possible that Jesus stayed uh, at Peter and Andrew's house. In those days, multiple families lived together in one house. Peter was married, as were other apostles, so his family lived in the house, as did Andrew, and likely Andrew's family. And Peter's mother-in-law was in that house, likely part of their household. It was presumably the Sabbath, and Jesus had just been in the synagogue. 
he went from the synagogue, which the centurion built in Capernaum, straight into Peter's house. James and John were with him. There was Peter's mother-in-law, literally thrown down with a high fever. She, she was really sick. The Greek word suggests that she was on fire, uh, meaning her temperature was really high. We don't know the cause. They inform Jesus about her, and Matthew is very succinct, but Matthew draws out the tender compassion and love of Jesus along with his power and authority. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. The tender touch of the Messiah has infinite and divine power and supremacy over every effect of the fall, even severe fevers. He healed an unclean leper. He healed an unclean Gentile Roman centurion slave. And here he healed a woman. Women in those days, not like today. They were not treated as equals. They, are, they are, were considered inferior and treated as such. And the compassion and love of Jesus, they're not controlled by societal prejudices. He touched the woman's hand and the fever instantaneously obeyed his will and left her. Dr. Carson said, quote, Jesus' authority instantly accomplishes what he wills, end of quote. Her, her vigor returned immediately. It was like she had been awakened from the dead, and right away she began to serve Jesus, likely to wait on him as a kind hostess would. But her service may carry deeper meaning here. Her service may have been the grateful service of faith in response to sovereign grace. Either way, her service was filled with gratitude for Jesus granted her healing grace. Thirdly, Jesus healed people oppressed by demons. Jesus had been in the synagogue. He was now in Peter's house and had just healed this dear woman. Evening came. So the Sabbath was, was now over, and people were free to bring their sick to him. And the work of Jesus was yet to conclude for the day. What a schedule. Now, how, how do you feel when evening comes? Well, if you're like me, I'm tired. I'm tired, and I don't really feel in the mood to serve people. That's, that's just where I often am. We're honest. That's, that's honesty from the pastor. All right, verse 16. Feel free to call me in the evening if you ever need my help. I'm serious about that. I would love to serve you in that way. It's just fleshly. Just Verse 16. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word. Think about this. Jesus is holy and righteous God in human flesh. He had come to earth to save his people from their sins, which meant that God himself dwelt in the midst of sin, guilt, sickness, evil, wickedness, darkness, etc. Jesus was suffering every moment of his life as he dwelt amidst brokenness. Caused by sin and filled with love, he healed. His touch, his words were reversing the effects of the fall, but he was suffering and taking the effects of the fall upon himself. This is part of his messianic work for us. Heidelberg 37 rightly says, 
during all the time he lived on earth, but especially at the end, Christ bore in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. He was taking our illnesses and bearing our diseases, bearing our griefs and carrying our sorrows. Well-intentioned or not, some Christians make the case that certain things happen to us, bad things, hard things, that God doesn't decree or intend, things that he would stop if, if only he could. Well, that view contradicts God's sovereignty in verses like verse 16. Jesus says a word and healing happens. And that proves that he is sovereign over everything, including physical suffering. If certain diseases or sicknesses are not in God's sovereign plan and God cannot actually prevent them, it would mean God is not sovereign over everything. But God is sovereign over everything, and verse 16 proves it. People were oppressed by demons, possessed by evil spirits, and with a word, with a simple word of sovereign power and authority, Jesus told the evil spirits to go, and they went. Why? Because they are entirely subject to the power and authority of God. Since Jesus can cast out evil spirits from people with a word, it means he is sovereign over those evil spirits which are entirely subject to his power and authority. This means that Satan and all his demons exist and act beneath the sovereignty and control of God. The book of Job proves this point. Satan and his minions, brothers and sisters, they're on a leash and cannot do anything apart from God's sovereign plan, purpose, and decree. And this means that Romans 8.28 is actually true. God does possess the power and authority to work all things, including evil, sin, Satan's schemes, disease, sickness, whatever, for the good and salvation of all his people. He can do that. He is doing that. The schemes of Satan only work for those resolved to following him, not the people of God. Lazarus shows us that even disease can work for God's glory. Jesus said that by flexing his muscles, so to speak, against these wicked spirits, Jesus was proving that he is God's promised Messiah, the sovereign over the universe who came to save his people from all evil. And this should build your confidence in what Jesus can do in your life. Do not fear the power of Satan and evil. Rather, fear God and know that the power and authority of Jesus Christ is sufficient to heal even you. Brothers and sisters, you are not immune from the schemes of Satan, but you are secure in the grace of your Lord and Savior. And as you trust him, the schemes of Satan will be exposed you will notice them and you will fight them well. Jesus is healing you by his sovereign, powerful, authoritative, and sufficient word. With his word, he is healing us. With his word, he is converting us. With his word, he is sanctifying us. With his word, he is renewing us. He has already begun to reverse the effects of the fall in our lives. He's just not done yet. 
physical illness may lead us to believe that sometimes in the pain of it that Jesus is distant, that he's not listening, that he's disinterested. But brothers and sisters, he's simply not done yet. He's simply not done yet. The fullness of our healing, brothers and sisters, is soon, is soon. Fourthly, Jesus healed people with various sicknesses. Verse 16, and healed all who were sick, or more literally, who had it badly. They had it badly. Several things here. First, notice that Matthew differentiates between demon oppression and sickness. That tells us something. Not every sickness is a demon or Satan coming after you. Uh, some people can think that way, wrongly. Second, Jesus didn't heal every single sick person on earth when he was on earth. Nor does he heal every believer throughout history who has true faith. But in this case here, he healed all who were sick who had been brought to him. Mark recounts that the whole city was outside the house, gathered at the door. And all who were sick in the city were healed. Amazing. What incredible compassion and love. What power and authority. Jesus has the power to heal everyone in this life. He has that power. But he often doesn't heal. And that may make us uncomfortable. We may have questions in, uh, about that. But we need to think about Isaiah 53 carefully and why Jesus came. He didn't come to eradicate all sickness from this life. He came to rescue his people from their sin and misery to ensure them in eternity without any effects of the fall. And realizing this, his purpose for coming and what he was about gives us perspective when it comes to the miracles of Christ and the purpose they serve. Third, he healed various diseases as Mark and Luke record and as we heard back in Matthew 4. Not one, not two, various diseases. There are no effects of the fall which Jesus is not able to fully and finally heal. And hearing that, that should boost your confidence in what Jesus is able to do in your soul right now. Brothers and sisters, your body will be healed at the resurrection. No doubt it's coming. A great reality and benefit of the gospel. But consider that with a word, Jesus drives out demons and heals deadly illnesses. And with his word, he is healing your soul right now. He has brought the kingdom to you, redeemed you with his grace, brought you into his kingdom, and has begun his healing in you. He is healing your soul by the power and authority of his word to make you ready for his consummated kingdom. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. So can you see his power and authority? Do you understand it? Do you, do, do you believe it? Can you sense and experience it in your life? transforming you into the image of Christ. Jesus is God's promised Messiah who heals his people from all the effects of sin. Fifthly, Jesus proved to be God's promised Messiah who heals his people from their sin and misery. He proved it. Verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. No one else is able to do that. His miraculous healings 
substantiated that he is God's promised Messiah that Isaiah said would save his people from their sin, guilt, and misery. His miraculous healings unveiled his identity as the chosen one, the Messiah, the Christ, the suffering servant, the man of sorrows who came to bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. He took our iniquity upon himself. He suffered the crushing blow of God's wrath and judgment as the atoning sacrifice for sin and guilt. He redeems and heals his people from all the effects of the fall, from the curse of the broken covenant, from the condemnation of the law. We, we should read, he touched her hand and the fever left her and she arose and began to serve him and conclude with true faith, he has touched me with his grace and spirit, healed me from the sickness of my sin and misery, and I have risen from death to life to serve him with all my heart, with the deepest joy and gratitude, and one day he will heal me fully, body and soul. That's the conclusion to take. We should conclude that since Jesus can heal a severe fever, heal from demon possession, heal various sicknesses, and by his grace and spirit, through his word, he can heal us of sin's ravages, body and soul. See, it is by hearing the word that our faith is strengthened. And by faith, we look to Christ to continue to heal us from the devastating effects of sin. How, how did Jesus take our illnesses and bear our diseases? William Hendrickson is helpful here. He gave two ways. Hendrickson noted... He did so by means of his deep sympathy or compassion, thus entering fully and personally into the sorrows of those who came, he came to rescue. And he did it by means of his vicarious suffering for sin, end of quote. And I don't want you to miss this. Jesus entered fully and personally into the sorrows of those who he came to rescue. His sympathy, compassion, love, vicarious suffering for sin is part of his messianic service. How Jesus the Christ serves you. He knows what you're going through. He knows how you suffer. He knows how you struggle. He suffered more in order to bring you holistic healing healing body and soul complete total final healing in all ways Heidelberg 44 asks why is there added he descended into hell and I want the answer just to minister to you right now listen to these wonderful words in my greatest sorrows and temptations I may be assured and comforted that my Lord Jesus Christ by his unspeakable anguish, pain, terror, and agony, which he endured throughout all his sufferings, but especially on the cross, has delivered me from the anguish and torment of hell. Let that just comfort your soul. We're delivered. And he's delivering us. Isaiah prophesied that answer. Matthew made the case that Jesus is the suffering servant which Isaiah spoke about. His miraculous healings confirm that he is the one 
who delivers us from hell and heals us, body and soul, to live in the presence of God forever in, and this is great, in complete health and well-being. No lack ever. Amazing. I'll wrap up with this point. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is healing you by his spirit through his word so that you serve him with gratitude. He's healing. Think about physical healing. Jesus continues to heal people. Sometimes he uses modern medicine. Thank the Lord for modern medicine, right? And, and other times he uses direct supernatural power which cannot be explained by science. Now, I don't personally call those miracles or signs or wonders, as many people do, but they are supernatural intervention of God that science cannot explain. So sometimes God does give a taste of the kingdom in this life by physical healing. We taste a little bit of it, and it's great to experience that. We often ask for healing when sickness comes for us, for loved ones, and God is gracious to sometimes heal. He does still heal. Other times, he chooses not to heal. And that's not because he fails us, and that's not because we don't have enough faith. It's because the full benefits of the kingdom, brothers and sisters, are yet to come. They're on their way. Dr. Carson said, quote, from the perspective of the New Testament writers, the cross is the basis for all the benefits that accrue to believers. But this does not mean that all such benefits can be secured at the present time on demand any more than we have the right and power to demand our resurrection bodies. End of quote. And I would add, any more than we have the right and power to demand our complete sanctification in this life. We make progress against sin, but our battle with sin will only come to an end in our death or at the return of Christ. Dr. Doriani helpfully said, when we believe in Jesus, God begins to deliver us from all the consequences of sin. Notice that he said begins. Someday, Doriani says, he will restore all that we lost because of sin, but that process is never complete in this life. The Lord will fully vanquish sin and disease when he comes again and restores the earth. But we have the right to expect real and substantial healing now. End of quote. Because of the power and authority of Jesus Christ, do you expect, brothers and sisters, real and substantial healing now? And by healing, I take Doriani to mean the healing of your soul. Your body may not heal. Maybe it will. But what we can expect in this life is real and substantial healing of our soul, a process completed at the return of our glorious king. And Jesus does this healing. How? By his spirit, through his word. The word of faith movement, you might have heard that, is popular and very dangerous. Listen to this statement from one well-known Word of Faith TV preacher. But what came on Jesus was not just the whip stripping the flesh off his bare back, but your sicknesses and diseases. Each time he was whipped, 
every form of sickness and disease, including arthritis, cancer, diabetes, bird flu, and dengue fever came upon him. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. Now listen closely to how he continued. Today, healing is your right because Jesus has paid the price for your healing. So if the devil says you cannot be healed, just declare Jesus has paid for my healing. Disease has no right to be in my body. I am healed in Jesus' name. Every curse of sickness that was supposed to fall on you fell on Jesus instead. He bore every one of those stripes so that you can walk in divine health all the days of your life. The price has been paid so that you can rise up and get out of your bed of affliction. That's a wicked lie. That's a perversion of Isaiah 53. It's not what Jesus taught, not what any of the New Testament teaches. It directly conflicts with the sicknesses and sufferings of Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus. It lays a tremendous burden on the sick and disabled who are never healed in this life, and it fails to see how Christ the King uses even our suffering to save us and bring us safely into his kingdom. Cameron Bettle, a missionary from Australia, said this, the belief that Christ's physical suffering somehow guarantees our physical healing in this life isn't merely an abuse of scripture. It's a form of mental and spiritual torture to those who sit under such false teaching. It's a lie that has left many churchgoers disappointed with the gospel. Rather than longing for their heavenly home, they are gripped by unrealized expectations in the here and now. The sickness they struggle with leaves them feeling like failures who lack the necessary faith to claim the healing that's rightfully theirs, end of quote. What we need to know today is this, and it's simple. Jesus is God's promised Messiah who heals his people from all the effects of sin. And brothers and sisters, our healing is not yet complete. Don't expect complete healing in this life. The gospel will bring complete healing when Christ comes for his beautiful bride. There is an end to your suffering and healing. There is an end to your disease. There is an end to your malady. There is an end to your sin. And it is when Christ comes and we long for his day, and we look for his return. Our healing is just not complete yet, but it is coming soon. So let that give you hope. Let that give you strength in the journey. Trust Christ with your body and with your soul.